You are listening to Hoisting the Sail, a supply chain podcast. From our new studio on Governor's Island, overlooking New York Harbor, we talk to the innovators and professionals who use the wind to power the maritime supply chain. I'm your host, Kat Bride. Hoisting the Sail is presented by Wind Support NYC. To power the world with wind, that is one of the mission statements of Bound for Blue. Today, we are going to speak to David Ferrer Desclos, a co-founder and CTO of Bound for Blue. He's joining us on the line all the way from Barcelona in Spain. Thank you so much, David, for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Kat. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to be here and, and explain a little bit what we are doing. David, you are one of three co-founders of Bound for Blue. How did you all meet? Well, the, the three co-founders at Bound for Blue, we are aerospace engineers. So basically, the three of us, we studied together at the same university. So we are uh, colleagues for a long time ago. You're aerospace engineers. Why are you working on ships? That's a very good question that I'm uh, very frequently asked. So, so the thing is that at the very beginning, we saw that uh, we knew a lot about aerodynamics and about wings. And we thought, why not using those winds and the know-how we know on aerodynamics on shipping, on vessels? Because we knew about the big uh, problem on pollution the, the shipping industry has, the uh, very high cost of fuel. So why not using the, the existing wind, which is a clean source of energy, to help propelling those vessels. So it was kind of a big shift uh, moving from airplanes to vessels because we had not a lot of idea on the technical things of, of vessels at the time, but it was a nice challenge. So we decided to move forward. Tell us a bit about your interest in vessels beforehand. Were you always thinking of space or were you thinking about the water as well? Did you grow up by the beach? Are you a sailor or were you always looking up instead of looking at the water? I was born in Ibiza, which is a small island uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. Mm -hmm. So I've always been surrounded by the sea. Uh, then I moved to Barcelona, which is also next to the sea. So, so water has always been there. But I wouldn't say that this was, uh, let's say, my motivation. I would say that, that the motivation behind that is that generally engineers, we are obsessed about finding problems and trying to solve them, solving or trying to help the uh, climate change somehow, or at least helping to reduce the pollutant emissions of an industry that really polluting, that is uh, shipping, was like a nice challenge. And we had ideas on how to help solving it. So we decided to move there. I wouldn't say that there was a direct link with shipping. It's basically we found uh, uh, something that could be improved. We had an idea on how to do that. We, we found the opportunity, the right timing, and we decided to, to step on it. To step on it. That's a very American expression. I love it. David, on your website, anybody who starts looking at Bound for Blue can read your mission to deliver automated wind-assisted propulsion systems that harness renewable energy as a turnkey solution to all ship owners and operators looking to decrease their fuel costs and pollutant emissions. How does that happen? How does it work? As you, you may know, uh, the shipping industry now is facing a, a very big challenge because they are being forced to reduce their pollutant emissions. Yes. And basically, they are all looking for fuel, for clean fuel. So if I tell you that I have a clean fuel that is available at any place in the world 
that you don't have to transport it, so there are no uh, limitations in uh, in tanks on your vessel, etc., and that you can use it for free. You would say that this is basically the best fuel in the world, and this is wind. Mm. So why not using it? So so that's basically our mission. Uh, wind is is everywhere in the world. Vessels are sailing everywhere in the world. Why not putting sails and using it to help propelling the vessel? Of course, the uh, commercial limitations uh, that we all have that we want the, the cargo to be to arrive on time, etc. It's going to limit not only using uh, wind, but it can be part of the solution. So it can help reducing the need of other fuels. So, so this is our idea. Why not putting sails on all the vessels in the world? And then they can take profit of this free fuel that is available everywhere in the world. So we've talked a bit about your mission and vision. I'd love to get into the history. When did the three of you start Bound for Blue? When did you turn meeting into a real commercial enterprise? The company was uh, funded in 2015. The three of us uh, started working full-time on it uh, in 2015. But it's true that the idea to using wing to putting sails on merchant vessels was there uh, since at least 2006. At that time, we were at university, so it was kind of a, an idea, a nice idea that we were working on. So after our studies, we went to another startup. Uh, we learned how to start a startup uh, that requires a lot of funding because the industrial world requires a lot of funding. And then 2015, we felt that we were, let's say, ready, not only on the technical side, because we are engineers, but also on the business side. And uh, we also saw that there was uh, it was the perfect timing because that was 2015. We knew that in 2020, there were new regulations entering into force in the shipping industry that they were forcing to reduce emissions and change fuels to more expensive fuels. So that was the perfect timing because it gave us five years to develop the technology to try to be ready on time when those regulations entered in force. So it was a combination of being ready ourselves, but as I said, both on technical and commercial point of view to be able to start a company, but also it was a perfect timing because you can launch a product, but it's, if it's not the right timing, that's not gonna work. Right. I know, David, that you are in Barcelona. Is the company in Barcelona? Yeah, the main office is located in Barcelona. And why did you choose an English name and not a Spanish one for your company? <laughs> Good question. First, because shipping industry is global. You, you will not start uh, locally, then increase your country and then become global. But uh, you start from scratch being global. So English is kind of the uh, worldwide spoken language. So we thought that it would make more sense because more people would understand what this bound for blue means, a way of going towards the blue or the green. And the other reason is because usually in Spanish, uh, when you put an English name, it sounds better. That's uh, something I don't ask me why, but if it's in English, it sounds better. But mm -hmm. the, the main reason is because we wanted to be global from day one. I see. You have a, a couple really interesting people on your team. You got a really big fish, Bertrand Charrière. Now, some of our listeners will know that he was associated with Jacques Cousteau, but you know his whole story. How do you get such a, a big fish on your team? 
first of all, let me just introduce you a little bit who, who is who is he, why is he so so relevant. Our e-sale, it's based on a technology called Suction Sale. So, so Suction Sale is like the generic name that was developed in the 80s. That was uh, funded by the Jacques Cousteau Foundation and two scientists worked on that development. One was Lucien Malavar and the other one was Bertrand Charrier. Mm. So one of the two inventors of the technology uh, is now in our team. So that's uh, really important because very little information on the design and development of the suction sale is available publicly. So he's the person that has more knowledge in the world on this uh, technology, not only on the design and the results they got from the wind tunnel test, but he spent 15 years sailing in the Alcyon, which is a vessel that has two suction sails installed on it. Why he is in our team? Well, basically, we we knew that uh, his experience will be extremely uh, important for the development of our technology and from the improvement of our technology. And we found him in uh, several conferences. We got in contact with him. And we had some meetings. We transmitted what we were doing, what our mission was. He knew the team. We had a very good feeling with him and, and him with us. Uh, I think we were kind of very aligned on, on the way of, uh, of developing this technology and this company and, and trying to go to the worldwide industry. And I would say that we, we went along very well. We signed an agreement and he is now part of our team. The Brain Trust, David. As you know, we are a New York-based podcast. Uh, we broadcast out of our studio here at Governor's Island. Uh, for a few years, the Alcyon was docked in New Jersey. We'd love to hear a bit your thoughts on how the technology has evolved and really how you're taking this technology into the 21st century. How are you applying the lessons of the, the early days of these type of sales to what you're doing now? As you were saying, uh, yeah, the, the Alcyon has equipped two uh, suction sails that the commercial name at that time was uh, Turbo Wall. That's our starting point. We have uh, the information on how those sails were designed, so the aerodynamic design, the operations. So we know how they were. And from there, uh, that's basically our starting point. So, so I would say that the main difference from uh, the 80s to now is that we have a higher computer uh, calculation power. Mm -hmm. So we're using based on the experimental results that they had, we are able to calibrate our calculations, our software calculations. And with this, we can test new things, new, uh, let's say, shapes or positions of different elements and test them very quickly and validate if they are better or worse. So mm -hmm. we have already our, let's say, our current design is about 20% better than what they had already in the 80s. David, We've heard it called a suction sale, a turbo sale, an e-sale. What's the correct name? Let's say generic name, it's suction sale because it's a sale that sucks the boundary layer or the air. That's technical name for the technology. Then you have the commercial name uh, that Turbovoil was the name that uh, the Cousteau Foundation uh, gave to, their, to the sales. The e-sale is the commercial name that we have given to ours. So the e-sale belongs to you. Exactly. It's the commercial name of our technology. Now, you mentioned a little bit about how it works. Can you tell us about what it's like building your prototypes and testing it out? What's what's that process like? Yes. So first thing, it's, it's computer design. So this includes 
aerodynamic design and mechanical design. So aerodynamic design is what is the shape, what is the suction I have to be doing, what's the positioning of the sail with respect to the wind to deliver the aerodynamic forces that you would like to. And the other one is the mechanical design. So the design of the structure, of the mechanisms, etc. Then the next step, it's validating these aerodynamics. So the next step is wind tunnel testing uh, that we did during this, uh, this last summer. We did some wind tunnel testing to validate the aerodynamic performances. Next step is to manufacture full-scale sails and test them on ground. So see that everything is moving as it should. Load testing, so we introduce uh, some loads to see that the, the, the sail doesn't get any strange deformation. And then is moving to a vessel, moving to sea trials, because this is the important part. Ship owners, what they want to see is real operation in real conditions. So you really have to demonstrate the operation of the sails in real conditions, because you can get some results on the wind tunnel, but then you have to be able to reproduce them on, on the reality by uh, operating the sail and their turbulence uh, with the movement of the vessel. And that's basically what they want. The, the, the ship owners, what they want to see is how does it perform when it's mounted on a vessel? That's point number one. Point number two is what's going to happen after a certain time of operation? Because the, uh, the marine environment is very, is very tough. So is it going to appear some corrosion? Is it still going to work as it was intended? And the third thing is, is it going to give me, and me means the, the ship owner, any trouble in my operations at port, at sea? Is it maneuverability going to change? So the, the important milestone is to validate those sails on the different types of vessels that you want to install them with full-scale installations. And that's basically what we're working on uh, during these last years. David, you have an autonomous control system associated with the e-sail. How does it work and why do you need one? Yes, this is a critical part. The, the first thing is that the, the goal of the sails, it's reducing operational cost of a vessel because you're reducing fuel consumption and obviously reducing pollutant emissions. The thing is that if this sail is not autonomous and you have to add extra crew to operate the sail, all this economic benefit of uh, reducing fuel would disappear because you're paying more salaries. So they have to be autonomous because they don't want to be adding crew to the vessel. That's one of the things. The other thing is that this autonomous control system allows you to operate the sail in an optimized way. So this suction sails control is not extremely easy for a person to operate that in optimal conditions. So it's always better to have autonomous control system. How does it work? Basically, the system reads several sensors on how the vessel is operating, on how the wind conditions are, how the sail is operating, and positions the sail in the what we call the trim, which is basically the position, the operational condition of the sail that maximizes fuel savings and is updating this positioning depending on how the external conditions change. So with the wind direction changes, the sail is going to move to a different position to always optimize fuel savings. Now, David, you've expanded your business in two different directions. One is the suction sail or e-sail market, and the other is renewable energy. Can you tell us how they work hand in hand? Yes, we have, I would say, two development roadmaps or two products. One is the suction sail. So, so sails to propel vessels and reduce fuel consumption. Where does it come from, the, the, the initial idea? The initial idea, in fact, comes from 
clean energy production patent that we have uh, since 2006, I think, that is a system to produce clean hydrogen. This system to produce clean hydrogen is basically a vessel equipped with a lot of sails, which is no longer trading with cargo. It's, it's only dedicated to produce clean hydrogen. So this vessel goes high speed wind areas and with the sails, it sails at a certain speed. As the vessel is moving with respect to the water, we have some uh, turbines and the water, which are also moving because there is some movement of water. And this movement generates electricity. And this electricity is used in electrolysis process to produce clean hydrogen. So this is the, the main concept of uh, this, uh, how to produce this clean energy. The thing is what we identified is to put in place this whole system, we need sails to propel this vessel. And this as a standalone system is already a product that can be commercialized, put on the currently uh, commercial fleet of vessels to reduce fuel consumption and pollutant emissions. We're not working in parallel in both, let's say technologies. We have started on the wing sales technology. So the e-sale technology for the shipping industry. And then when this product will be sufficiently mature, we will start with the second branch, which is applying these sales into the vessel to produce clean hydrogen. And I'd like to ask you, David, about your products that are currently sailing right now that are out on the water. Uh, how did those clients find you or did you find them? In one way, they took a big risk. You're a new company. They decided to go with what you had. How did you approach that challenge and how are the e-sales doing right now? The important milestone here, and that's what we're working on currently, is to install full-scale sales on the different types of vessels. So we have already done two installation projects on a fishing vessel and a small general cargo vessel, uh, which are sailing. And we are currently working on three additional projects on another general cargo, on a tanker, and on a bulker to install our technology on these uh, different types of vessels. So we are, in fact, we have two vessels sailing with sails, but between this year and uh, early next year, we'll have three additional vessels. The goal here is to validate that the technology works on these vessels. So the initial vessels, their goal was mainly to understand what are the implications of putting a sail on a vessel and operate at sea. So identifying what is the optimal way of operating the sail, the control system. So we were basically adjusting and tweaking the control system and the sail to get a better technology. And these improvements are going to be applied to the new installations that we're working on. So how do you approach those uh, ship owners? Our approach is that this is part of the R&D. So we are doing R&D. It's still a demo. It's still a pilot. So the good thing is that there is uh, public funding to do that. That's one option because it's R&D. It's really in the interest of the uh, of the public funding for, for R&D to help companies reduce the carbon footprint. So that helps to reduce the uh, economic impact for those ship owners. And then is approaching the early adopters. There's, as in any other market, there is people willing to do things and to test things to improve the, the impact we're having on the world. So it's a lot of work of uh, knowing people, meeting people, discussing with different people until you find the right early adopter. And how's it going so far? Quite a few of those e-sales have been out on the water for some time now. How are they holding up? Well, everything, it's 
it's giving what we expect. As I say, for example, on the fishing vessel, during a one-year uh, sea trial, the first half was intended to calibrate uh, all the control system and the sail. The second half was to verify that the savings were ex as expected and match it our calculations. So, so we're very happy. We got, uh, for example, the fishing vessel up to 15% savings. So aligned with what we were expecting. Wonderful. So we are, we're happy with that. And uh, as I was saying, with, with the new uh, installations that are kind of an improved e-sale, we expect to have even more. So we're really happy and, and looking forward for the next installations. With the suction cell market, and I'm speaking to you as an amateur, David, a lot of people would look at your website and look at the e-sale and think, oh, that's just a Flettner rotor. I've seen those before. But there's more to the story, correct? Yes, it's true. Flettner rotors are more common. Uh, so they are people usually think of, of Flettner rotors. And it's true that when you see a picture, it really looks like. But it, they are really, really different. And maybe it's not easy to explain that by voice. I usually use a, a slide to explain that. But the, the principle of operation is different. The Flettner rotor, to generate aerodynamic forces, they have to be constantly spinning. So they have to be rotating all the time at 200, 300 RPM. And this effect generates lift. On the suction sail, conceptually, the principle is different. The suction sail is basically like a sail. The thing is that this suction allows it to be smaller and to be more effective. So it's like a sail, it's operated like a regular sail that you can find on any sailing vessel, but that generates much more lift thanks to this suction of the boundary layer. So it allows them to be smaller compared to a sail. So yeah, conceptually, the suction sail is like a regular sail that produces high lift and the Flettner rotor, even though it looks similar, the principles of operations are completely different. So a suction sail is basically once it has adjusted the position with the wind, it's not moving anymore. The Flettner rotor has to be constantly spinning at two or 300 RPM. So this has some mechanical implications, some power implications that has to be, has to be considered. But it's true that when you look on a picture, it really looks like. Yes, it, it appears similar. But I have to say, David, that was an excellent explanation and differentiator. On this program, David, we talk to a lot of people all over the world who are trying to harness the wind and have that technology become sustainable and profitable. But there are a lot of naysayers in this industry. You know yourself, global shipping is not nimble when it comes to new technologies. Yes, there are early adopters, but there's a lot of people who will wait and see. When you are discussing your product with a cargo owner, ship owner, how do you talk about the cost and the ROI? Our approach is that, um, this may sound obvious, but wind propulsion, the savings that you can get with wind propulsions are going to depend on the wind that uh, you have on your trading areas. So you cannot get a generic uh, answer on what is the, uh, the payback period, for example. You really have to do a, a dedicated analysis for each vessel, each ship owner, each trade. So this is basically what we offer free of charge to any ship owner. And what we want to show is if wind propulsion makes sense for him or not. So that's a, the first step, doing an analysis, seeing what's your vessel, seeing how many sales you would put there, what would be the savings, and what would be the cost. And with this, we get a payback period. If payback is too high, that's not going to work. And if payback is okay, 
then we can move forward. And uh, being honest, uh, it's true that the shipping industry may be seen as a not very early adopter, but regulations are really forcing them to look at those solutions. And I'm positively surprised that there are more early adopters that, than what I would have thought on the beginning. The difference is that most of them are saying, okay, I'm interested on your technology. Let's see what are the results on, on these demonstrators that you're doing. And if results are positive and you can really prove that what you explained me in this presentation is real, then we can continue discussions. So the, the key is being able to prove on a demo or on a pilot that your technology really works and then see if payback makes sense for the vessel. So th this is what really makes the difference. What is the cost of the technology? That's one of our main positive points is that the e-sale, due to how the physics are, can be cheaper than the other technologies. So that really helps a lot on the uh, on the payback. One of your co-founders, uh, Christina, gave a great quote. She said, we don't need futuristic solutions to make shipping sustainable. And there is more than alternative fuel. It is a message that is extremely important for us as well. For our U.S. listeners, knowing that we are in a nation still addicted to fossil fuels, David, when we're talking about renewable energy, the wind, of course, is your focus. Do you ever look at alternatives, other fuels, LNG, biofuel? We see that the solution on decarbonizing shipping uh, industry, it's not going to be linked to one single solution, but a combination of several of them. I can imagine using methanol or using ammonia or hydrogen, electric propulsion. So, so it's going to get much more complicated to, to solve. Right now, we are basically burning fuel, Moringa's oil or, or heavy fuel oil, and solution was very easy, an engine and all the vessels are the same. Now it's going to be more tricky because every vessel will need different technologies. We see wind propulsion as something that is part of that solution. If we can save 15, 20% of whatever the fuel they will be using in the future, that's going to be a huge reduction in uh, in cost because future fuels are going to be much more expensive than what they are now. Mm -hmm. So we are not working, let's say, on developing alternative fuels. We have sufficient work with our sales, but we see them as part of the solution. So we welcome them. We, we, we are informed with them. We like to collaborate uh, with people that is working on, this, on these topics because we think that we have to work together to, to give a global solution. Right. You mentioned the future. Now, Bound for Blue, you've got a, a big wide future in front of you. I do want to quote for our listeners a blurb on your LinkedIn. This was quite recent, David. You say, our team has grown by more than 40%. We have started working with Amasis, Louis Dreyfus Armature, the Marubeni Corporation to propel their ships with wind. We have scaled up the size of our technology to provide our solution to all ships, regardless of their length. That's a very important note. I'm going to ask you about that. You go on to say we have performed more wind tunnel tests and CFD analysis, which have improved our system's aerodynamic efficiency. If the first generation of our suction sail was good, imagine how good it is now. That is a very positive take on your early years and how you're doing so far. What's next? New investors, new customers, new products? Yes. So, so what's next? There are many things, 
but uh, keeping it simple what's next is validating the technology on, on all the types of vessels so, so we're working on, on adding a, a new demo on the tanker segment and being able to publish results of savings that are validated by independent companies so we want these results to be publicly available and as transparent as possible for all the industry to see that the technology really works then the challenge is going to be more on the commercial and production side so we are scaling up the technology to the larger uh, units but we also have to scale up the production capacity we're now building few units for these projects that you mentioned it's about 10 units in, in total but if the technology works, there is 60,000 vessels in the world that need it. So we are confident that demand is going to grow pretty, pretty fast. So one of the main challenges is how to cope with this future demand, such large technologies. It's not easy to manufacture them uh, at that scale. So that's going to be one of the main challenges on the technical side. So we're going to move on, on commercialization. And it may not sound very fancy, but, but that's kind of the, the main challenges and, and next steps, scaling up technology, but also scaling up capacity of production and to offer the product to the wider amount of, uh, of uh, ship owners in the world to have a larger impact as soon as possible. That was beautifully said. We can use that in our advertisements, David. <laughs> you have quite a few European customers. Are you looking to expand to the North American market or the Asian market? Yes, in, in fact, uh, as I was saying, shipping industries is, uh, is global. So we are uh, global from day one. It's true that our first early adopters are from the European market because uh, of proximity. But for example, Marubeni, they are from Japan. We are in contact with ship owners in the US. They were not the right early adopter at that time. But, but yeah, we have contact with several ship owners all around the world. David, what is the ideal vessel for your technology? Good question. The ideal, I wouldn't say the ideal vessel because as, as I said before, the savings that you can get from the sale depends on the existing winds. So more than the ideal vessel is the ideal trade. If you have a vessel trading in an area with a lot of wind, savings are gonna be very high. So more than the ideal vessel, I would say the ideal trade and those ideal trades are usually North and South Atlantic north and south pacific trades mm. uh, those are usually very very good trades where are your e-sales built right now uh, as bound for blue we are not building our e-sales we're subcontracting that mm -hmm. and this is part of the of this strategy for being able to scale up production we have designed our sales our e-sales to be as close as possible to the tower of, a, of an offshore wind turbine uh, and the reason for that is because then we can use the industry that is manufacturing offshore wind turbines which they already have the infrastructure to build these large structures. They have the capacity to scale up and they can do that with high standards of quality because basically they've been doing that for, for the last years in the offshore wind, wind uh, turbines uh, industry. Right now, all the production is done in Spain. David, what is your bigger challenge? Finding customers or improving your product fast enough? So, so finding customers, being fully frank, ship owners are really willing to find a solution that works, which is great. So what we have to validate is that the technology works to be able to prove that to them. Then they will be very happy to buy our technology or any other technology if it's the best suit for, for them. So I wouldn't say finding customers is not something into which we're putting a lot of effort. 
uh, we're getting in touch with all these customers, but we really want to first have the validation to be able to go to these customers and say this technology works. So I wouldn't say that this is the main uh, issue or challenge right now. It may change in the, in the near future, but right now it's not our focus. Developing our technology, we have a very efficient technology that, that gives very attractive payback. We have something that is sufficiently good to be attractive to the market. Of course, we're in constant improvement, but I wouldn't say that this is, let's say, the main challenge. For me, the main challenge is how to scale up. What's going to happen when suddenly we have to produce 10 units and, and, and suddenly for the next year we have to produce 100? Right. That's going to be a big challenge. This happened with uh, the scrubbers uh, industry uh, that all of a sudden uh, regulation in 2020 changed and all of a sudden there were 3,000 orders one year to the other. So that, that's, I would say that this is the big challenge. If we uh, prove that our technology works, this can grow pretty fast. And if we want to cope this demand, we have to be able to scale up pretty quick. This is the main challenge that we have ahead of us. Well, David, isn't it nice to know that you're so needed in the world? If we validate the technology, <laughs> which I'm confident, but of course, it's something that has to be proven. David, we're reaching the end of the interview. And like all of our guests, we love to give you an open floor. Now, the open floor can take many forms. You can get up on your soapbox and shout to the rooftop something that you're working on. If you want to look into your crystal ball, and talk about what you would love to see in the next five or 10 years. The open floor is all about your ideas and what's on your mind and putting it out to the world. The floor is yours. I would like to, to end up how I expect the shipping industry in a few years, in, in a 10 years uh, period. I'm quite confident that things are gonna be uh, positive. I'm really seeing a big effort from uh, regulations, from uh, technology providers, from uh, public funding, helping to develop different technologies, and from the ship owners, which are having a, a hard time to cope with, with these regulations. But I think that there is a very positive effort from the whole stakeholders in the industry that are gonna change the shipping industry from what we knew. I see like a revolution when vessels initially, a hundred years ago, they were propelled uh, fully by sails. Then the combustion engine uh, appeared and that was the revolution. No more sails in the world. And suddenly everything was uh, combustion engines. Now I see a, a near revolution in, in which the vessels may not look like we are used to see them. They will be combining many technologies, and this is because of the uh, combined effort of many stakeholders. And I'm positive that we're going to get into a better industry because I really see that everyone is pushing forward on the same direction. So I feel positive and I, I hope I'll be right. Well, we do too. And we couldn't be more thankful for your appearance on the program today. We've been speaking with David Ferrer Disclos, a co-founder and CTO of Bound for Blue. David, thank you again so much for being a part of the program today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not already subscribed, please sign up to Hoisting the Sail wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, visit Windsupport NYC on LinkedIn. Write to us at podcast at windsupport.nyc.